0: Well, last week we picked up where I left off before I went to Seattle, talking about some different things that, uh, that unify the Godhead, that bring God and, and the Son together, um, and uh, we talked about the fact in John chapter 15 that Jesus said that apart from him, uh, we can do nothing. This week, as I plan to move to this second part of this series, God kind of stopped me in, the, in, in my tracks, and he said, Rob, that truth that you can do nothing apart from me, it's made it to your head. But has it really made it to your heart? Do you fully understand what you can and cannot do apart from the Lord? And I've had to stop this week and kind of do some some backing up. And um, I want to be as transparent as I can this week with you. I I believe that this week has been a breakthrough week for me. I think time will tell if that's real or if it's not. But this week, God began to to show me just how little that I can do on my own. He showed me how often I try to do things in my own strength, how often I try to do things just by the sheer will and determination and hard work and long hours that, that I put in. But this week, God began to break through. And, and it's not. when I say it's a breakthrough week, I don't want you to think that I've gone breaking through some wall like a football player crashing through a paper sign that the cheerleaders make. That's not what I'm saying at all. The breakthrough was not on my part. The breakthrough was on God's part. I feel like this was a week where God broke through to me, where, where finally God was able to, to penetrate the, the calluses, if you will, in my life, to, to begin to, to, to break through some of these things that, that maybe I had put up in my own world. And so the breakthrough, I think, is on God's part. And uh, it's not that I broke through to him, but that he finally broke through to me. Um, the things that God showed me this week have really shattered, in so many ways, my working theology. I I haven't changed my basic core theology at all, but my working theology, how I live out the things that I say I believe, those things have been radically um, brought into question and and brought under a microscope this week. And looking at who I am and and, and where I find my identity and those kinds of things have begun to to change. So while I intended to to move on in the series that I was, uh, was working on, I really believe that God has kind of stopped me in my tracks. And And I think that God has said to me, Rob, you can't move beyond this fact that you can do nothing apart from me. And so not just can I not move on to that series this week, but I hope to never move beyond that in my life. I hope I never forget. I hope I never lose sight of the fact that we can do nothing apart from Christ. I realize that, that when I preach, it's not an opportunity for me just to vomit up everything that God's doing in my life on you. That's, that's not my purpose. But I think you need to understand a little bit about who I am and a little bit about how I have approached life and approached ministry. Uh, it's stuff that, that you may or may not already know about me, but I have tried my whole life um, to live well, uh, to love well, and as a pastor, to lead well. I have strived with all of my energy and all of my strength to be able to do that and to do it well. What God has shown me this week is that I have not succeeded. Not to the extent that I would like and certainly not to the extent that God would like. Maybe I've lived well according to the world standards. Maybe I've loved well according to the world's standards. Maybe I've even led well. According to the world standards, but the truth is this the world's standards are not my standards They're not God's standards. They're not what he has called us to do I've spent my life trying to live morally and ethically keeping the rules and following the guidelines that scripture lays out doing my best to To do what's right and to avoid what's wrong I've spent most of my life Trying to love as best as my heart would enable me to love people that when you get hurt to, to try to patch that up and just move on and continue to love and continue to show that great love and compassion of Christ to other people so I've tried to love as best as my heart would allow me to love I, I've tried to lead and I know that I'm not the best leader in the whole world but I've tried to lead to the best of my ability with the strength that I have to be able to to forge a way and to, to cast vision for a church and to do the things that would make people want to follow and want to uh, to be a part. The, the problem is that I can't do any of those things at the level that God requires. That God desires. And, and here's where I get off track. If I'm real honest. I know that I don't measure up. Right? So I just try a little harder. If this sermon this week was not good. Then I'll just study a little longer next week. I'll find a better illustration. I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to, 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 to pull something out of the scripture that, that, that's really going to hit home next week. I just try a little harder. Or maybe I just work a little longer. I remember in seminary, the professor's telling me, you know, you, you've got to be the hardest working pastor in town. Or everybody else's church will grow and yours won't. Okay got to study more you got to work harder you got to you got to pay the price if you want to see things really happen and so that became part of my working theology to try harder to work longer to do more and yet there was this nagging voice inside of me saying that something was still missing and something was still lacking I don't know if any of you can relate to that or not. I don't know if any of you feel that way in your life. I read, I've been reading a book that Rebecca gave me, and it makes me mad that she gave it to me, but it's been exactly what I've needed to read. Isn't it funny how God uses your kids sometimes to to hold up a mirror in front of you? I actually asked her for the book, and she said, here, this is a great book, read it. And it's really begun to change some things, but it's funny how sometimes you see yourself and you go, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what, what is there. And so uh, you, you, I, I realized that something was missing. And in my effort to do better, there are days where I feel like I hit spiritual highs. And you, just, you step up to the plate and you hit a home run. And you're like, man, this is awesome. And there's other days you step up to the plate and it's strike one, strike two, strike three, and you're out. And you take your bat and you walk back to the dugout. There's spiritual highs and there's spiritual lows. There's, there's highs when you feel like that you've done something well. Or highs when somebody else has noticed your hard work or uh, maybe a, a sermon that hit home with them. And, and, and people show up and they, they, they notice or they compliment or they hit like on the computer. Those are the highs. And then there's the lows. When you fall short when you trip up, when you fail spiritually, when you don't get it right, when you sin, you fall short, either public or privately. There's those lows when other people look at you and criticize and tell you how horrible you're doing. Those are the lows. Highs that lead us to spiritual pride, or maybe worse, this self-confidence it, you think I got this. Lows that lead you to fear, to self condemnation, to guilt, to maybe even a defensiveness. And it becomes this roller coaster ride of highs and lows. Now, I, I grew up in Houston with Astroworld, and I love a good roller coaster for about three minutes. But 40 years. Of a roller coaster that nonstop is not only nauseating but it's exhausting and when we live by this this thing that says I've just got to do it bigger I got to do it better I've got to work harder work longer and 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 some days I'm going to get approval and other days I'm going to get sliced and diced and and it's this roller coaster of, of stuff you go I just want off that ride Because to be honest, the excitement of the roller coaster eventually turns to exhaustion. And if I'm completely honest with you this morning, I'll say this. The problem has not been with others at all. The problem is not trying to be a pastor. That's not the problem. The, the problem re- resides deep within me. And it's a... It's a a deep insecurity I guess that that resides inside of me that god 's trying to work upon and trying to to help change and correct, but it 's this this thing that 's inside of me, and so i don 't want to in any way make it sound like that that my problem is you you don 't compliment me enough or you you criticize me too much that 's not it at all. The problem is not out there. The problem is down here, and it 's something that that resides deep inside of me, and it 's not easy this morning for me to talk about because nobody wants to stand in front of a crowd or, or, or broadcast through the internet that, that I'm a person of, of insecurity, that I'm a person that, that, that's wrestling with trying to, to find approval of man or approval of God. But the reality is that's where I've lived a lot of my life. We try to cover it up by acting like we know what we're doing, when sometimes we don't. You fake it until you make it. Is that what you know what I'm saying? You get after it and you, you just try to do it. You, you, you live this way with this, this insecurity and it's a haunting voice that I've heard so many times in my life. And here's what that voice says. You are not good enough. You're not good enough. And the second verse of that song is, and you may never be good enough. You ever heard that voice? It's one thing to hear it inside, it's another thing for for people to confirm it. Uh, So, what I do, my tendency is just to work a little harder, to serve a little longer. Longer days, shorter nights. Let me just read my Bible more. Let me, let me find a longer list of things that I need to be doing so that I can be better and I can feel better. But there's still something missing. There's still something that's, that's not there. I, I see in others there's something that others have that, that I was lacking. And so I ask God and I ask them, what, wh- where do you get this? How do you do this? Where does this come from? What am I doing wrong? Or maybe what else do I need to be doing that I'm not yet doing? And even as I ask the question, what else do I need to be doing? I ask the question on the other side of my brain. And what am I going to eliminate to make time for this new thing that I ought to be doing? Have you ever felt that way? Am I, am I alone or has anybody else here ever felt that way? I was reading a book and this, this lady that that wrote the book, she said this, she goes, when I, when I go to church, I walk out exhausted because I walk in and my pastor tells me, here's three more things you need to be doing. And I think, how can I even add one more thing to my list? What do I take off the list in order to add something new to the list? And so I knew that something needed to change in me, but I wasn't sure what that was, or I wasn't sure how to bring that back. So I've talked to some of my trusted friends, I've talked to our deacons, I've talked to others in our church that, that I trust, and I've said, you know, I'm, I'm at a point of, of exhaustion and I don't know what to do and what not to do. I don't know what to stop doing and, 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 and what I need to add that's missing in my life. And so I ask them the question that I've always asked, what do I need to do? How do, I, how do I fix me? So that I can lead, so that I can pastor, so that I can be what God wants me to do. How do I fix me? And for the past several months, there's been this longing inside of me. Sometimes you guys don't realize this, but some of the, the messages that God leads me to preach are things that, that I'm going through at that moment. When I went through that Matthew 11 passage, there was a, a hunger and an exhaustion, this thing inside of me saying, I just want to find that rest that Jesus promised in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. And I'm going, hey, 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 that's me. Come unto me, Jesus says, and find rest for your soul. And I'm going, Lord, I would love love to experience this rest for my soul but but it seems like god every time i come to you i just see five more things that i need to be doing and that doesn't seem restful to me and i think when that happens we 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 read he says come unto me and and take my yoke upon you and you think oh great more stuff to do (laughs) am i wearing you out I don't mean to be, but but this is this is where we live. This is where I live. I don't know about you guys, but 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 I I read Matthew eleven and I longed to, to find the rest for those that were weary and were heavy laden. And those words of Jesus where he said, Come unto me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. So I came and I surrendered. Actually, I, I collapsed <laughs> more than I surrendered. I said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. But I'm not sure what else to do. And the answer from the Lord didn't come immediate. It didn't come right away. It, we, we, we had a lot of interesting, uh, honest conversations spent a lot of my time in Seattle talking to Daniel that I love and I trust and explaining to him the depths of what I was feeling and where I was at. I've talked to Dalton. I've talked to some of you. And I've said, this is, this is where I'm at, and I'm not sure what to do. I'm buying up Christian books and trying to read all I can about how to fix me so that I can then be who God wants me to be. I've read large portions of Scripture trying to see what it is that might be missing in my heart. And, and this is where God began to, to break through to my heart. God showed me that I've been building my life on a false gospel. This is hard for me to admit, okay? But that I'm building my life on a, on a false gospel. It's, it's one that's a little more subtle. Uh, but also more prevalent, and I believe, more dangerous than the prosperity gospel that we talk about. This is a, a gospel, a false gospel. A, a, a lady named Christine Hoover. She, she called it the Goodness Gospel." That somehow there is this obsession with this, this, this idea that I can be good enough. It's a goodness gospel. It says that, that if I do A, B, C, D, E, all the way through Z, that then I can be good enough. I will, I will be good enough. And, and, and we know that in our hearts that we can't do those things by ourselves, but, but we try and we, we go after them with all of our strength. And it's this obsession with trying to be good enough. Good enough for God to love me. Good enough for God to accept me. Good enough for God to throw some blessings my way. Maybe even good enough for others to notice me, to accept me, to applaud me, to reward me. It's a false theology. And it's what creates that roller coaster that I described. And and on days when I, I did good, man, I felt great. But on days when I fail, which is every day, you're gripped by fear that God might reject you. Fear that if others knew that they would reject you. And and here's the thing, as I read about this goodness gospel, this obsession with trying to be good and get it all right, my first question as I read that That phrase, the goodness gospel, and description of of how that we work ourselves to death trying to be good enough, guess what the first question was that came to my mind? Okay, Lord, so what do I need to do? What do I do? What must I do? I've got to fix this. It's not good. It's not right. It's it's wrong. I, I, I need to fix it. How ironic is that? I see you laughing, Lori. I, you, you got this. You know that, that this is what I do. It's, it's, it's how do I fix it? What do I do to make it right? And it's ironic that I'm going to fix the goodness gospel by trying to do something good or better or more. I've shared this with many of you. something I'm just now understanding about myself. But for most of my Christian life, I've gone to Scripture. And when I read Scripture, this is how I read it. I read it. And I can read any part of Scripture that that I go to, and and here's the first thing that pops in my mind. What am I supposed to do? I read this story. Okay, what what is that telling me I need to do? I don't look at the love of the Father. I don't look at the compassion of the Father. I don't necessarily look at the grace of God. I look at the Scripture and go, okay, that's all great, but but what do I need to do? That's the goodness gospel. When you read the gospel, you say, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? That's the goodness gospel. So somehow thinking that, that if I can do these things, I will be approved by God. I'll be loved by God. I'll be noticed by God. I'll be rewarded by God. And so God showed me myself this week in a passage that I've never seen myself in before. You all know the story of the rich young ruler, right? I'm the rich young ruler. I mean, I'm not rich. <laughs> I'm not young, and and I'm certainly not a ruler, but but I'm the rich young ruler in this this story, in the Scripture. And, and, And the reason that I say that I'm the rich young ruler is that my thinking is exactly like his thinking. And my behavior is a lot like his behavior. I look at him in, in Mark chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, Mark chapter 10, the story's recorded. It's actually in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And they all three give us a different facet of, uh, of this conversation that he has with Jesus. But, but I want to look at especially at the one in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Uh, you could also read it in Matthew 19 or Luke 18. But, but today, Mark 10 is where I want to be. And, and the reason I say I'm this man is, is here's a guy that realizes something is missing in his life. Something is not yet there. For him, it's salvation. How do I get to heaven? But, but I want you to notice what he says when he comes to Jesus. This is a, a very interesting interaction with Jesus, okay? So in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it talks about Jesus. He was setting out on his journey. So here's Jesus journeying. He's got the disciples with him. A man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him a question. Now, notice this, okay? This man is in the right place at the right time, talking to the right person. He's even got the right posture. He falls on his knees before Jesus. He just asked the wrong question. Here's his question. Good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in Matthew 19, 16, he he says it this way What good thing, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the goodness gospel. What must I do? Now, I've always read that and said, Man, he asked the right question. It's a great question. What do I need to do? Tell me. I've had people come up to me and say, Rob, what do I need to do to get saved? And we tell him, this is, this is what, what, you know, what you need to do. But I think it's a wrong question. Because I think what this guy is asking is, what do I need to do? What, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he is a rich, young ruler. He knows about inheritance. You don't become rich while you're young unless you've been given something. He hasn't lived long enough to become rich on his own. So he's been given this gift already he is a a rich young ruler his his whole identity is tied up in his title right how do we know this man when you when you talk about this man you don't say hey that guy named named john that came up to jesus and asked him that question you go, know this was a rich young ruler that's that's his whole identity right and we can get wrapped up in our identity being well I'm, I'm i'm rob i'm the pastor at crossroads or i'm so-and-so i'm a deacon at crossroads or i'm so-and-so i'm a member here or i'm so-and-so and, and we fill in the blanks i'm so-and-so's mom or so-and-so's dad. Or like I like to talk about now, I'm so-and-so's pawpaw. It's our identity. It's who we are. Well, here's this man. He's a rich young ruler, and he comes and he asks the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says something to him that I've never, ever understood before, and I think that that it's, it's finally beginning to make sense to me. Jesus comes back. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't even address eternal life up front. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There's a lot right there in that little statement. Jesus is is measuring whether this guy understands something. First of all, Jesus says, here's the fact, God alone is good. You're calling me good. Do you think I'm God? He's measuring whether this man understands that Jesus really is God or not. But he's also saying something here. He's saying to this man, there's only one good person because this man's about to list everything good that he's ever done. And Jesus is saying, that doesn't make you good. Let's let's read on. Watch this. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father or your mother. He kind of had to do that probably to get his inheritance. Uh, but anyway, he said to him, Jesus said to him, this man said to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Let's go down the list, Jesus. Okay, here's, here's the list. Uh, uh, do not murder. Yep, never killed anybody. Got that one. Okay, good. Do not commit adultery. Yep, never committed adultery. Do not steal. Man, I hadn't even needed to steal. i got everything I need. Check that one off. Don't bear false witness, got that. Do not defraud, got that. Honor your father and mother, got that. I've got my checklist, Jesus, here I am. Check, 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 check. I've got them all done. What must I do? See, he's thinking he could do enough to gain acceptance. Here's what Jesus is saying. You you can't do enough to be good. There's only one good, and that's God. And you can't be good enough. Well, here's my list. I've done all these things. I've kept all the commandments that you listed. Anything else I need to do? What else? What else do I do? And then verse 21. It says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So what Jesus is about to say is not to condemn. What Jesus is about to say is, is to love. It will sound like condemnation to those who live the goodness gospel. But it sounds like freedom to those who don't. Now follow me on this. If you're a person that lives by the goodness gospel and you are doing everything you can to get it right check, 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 check. And somebody comes up to you and says, let me tell you where you're failing. How do you hear that? Do you hear it as love? You hear it as condemnation. You hear it as criticism. You hear it in in, in a way that that just cuts you to your core. Why? Because you think, my God, I'm trying to get it right, and you're going to find the one thing I get wrong? That's how you hear it when you live by the goodness gospel. But scripture makes it clear here that Jesus is loving this man when he says it. Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. And he lacked more than one thing. But Jesus says, you you got your checklist. Okay, great. There's still something that's missing. It had to be hard for that man to hear that something was still missing. What in the world is missing? You lack one thing. Now, again, he lacked much more than that. But Jesus says to him, I want you to go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Do you know what Jesus was asking him to do? What was it that defined this man? He was what? A rich, young ruler. And here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to set aside your previous identity. I want you to set aside who you think you are, who others think you are. I want you to set aside all this stuff that you've surrounded yourself with. And I want you to find your identity in me. I want you to build your trust and your confidence not in you and what you have but in me. That's a game changer. That is an incredible game changer for any of us or for all of us. For God to say, "Listen, you've spent your lifetime, your lifetime living by one set of standards by 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 this this goodness gospel. I want you to set that aside and I want you to live by a different gospel." That's what Jesus is saying to me. You you spent a long time, Rob, trying to, to do more to get my attention, to get my love. And God says, You've already got it. You just don't know it. Jesus says to this man, There's there's one thing you lack. He didn't say that to wound him. He he, he did that to reveal to him what was lacking so that Jesus could make up for his lack. Jesus was asking him to give away, to lay down everything that he had built his identity upon and to begin to allow Jesus to define him. No longer as a rich young ruler, but now as just a follower of Christ, a disciple of the Lord. Jesus wanted to show him what, what, what he wants to show us, that, that what he lacked was actually necessary. That he lacked what was necessary to, to be pleasing to God. He lacked the very thing that was needed. And so do we on our own. When, when we look at Scripture, and Scripture gives us an incredible list of things that we need to be doing We're tempted to look at that scripture and say, wow, i got to get busy. i got to get busy. Thinking that there's something that we can do to become pleasing to God. But the truth is we we lack, We, we don't have what it takes to be the Christian that God calls us to be. You say, that's depressing. Is that even biblical? That we don't have what it takes to be what God wants us to be? The truth is we don't apart from the Lord. We don't. We do not have what it takes to, to, to be that. You say, well, that's depressing. It'd be very depressing if it wasn't for the true gospel that follows right behind that thought. That by grace, God supplies everything that's needed for us to live our lives pleasing to God. When Jesus says to this man, I want you to go and to give everything away and come follow me. It sets the apostles backwards. They're, they're like, whoa, they're on their heels going, wait a minute, Lord, then, then who can be saved? How can anybody, if that's what you require of him, how can anybody, anybody be saved? And just later on in this same story, in, in verse 26, it says, they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to Jesus, well, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. Impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. And then Peter, I love Peter. Peter pulls out his checklist, Lord, we've left everything. We've left this and this and this and this and this. Oh, man, we, you know, we've done what you've asked him to do. Are we in good shape? And he's like, Peter, Peter, hold on. Put the list up. Hear what I'm saying. It is impossible for us to be pleasing to God apart from God. Would you let that just sink in to your heart today the way that it's trying to sink into mine? That it's impossible to be pleasing to God apart from God. Apart from total dependence upon Him moment by moment, day by day. You can't break that habit that keeps reoccurring in your life apart from dependence upon God. Willpower won't do it. That's why we need him, moment by moment, day by day. We don't have what it takes to live the Christian life without God. It's it's impossible for us to do. No amount of goodness is good enough, and no list will ever be long enough to get us where we need to be with the Lord. The only way that we can do all things... Is through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians four thirteen. People will say, oh, "I can do all things through Christ," but what they really mean is, "I can do all things," and they like throw in the last part. The key to that whole thing is Christ in us. That's why when Jesus left, he promised to send his Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit helping us, without the Holy Spirit not just residing in us, but presiding over us, we are powerless. I can make my list, but I can't complete that list. I can say this is what Scripture wants me to do, but, but I can't fulfill that. Think about all the things that Scripture asks us to do that are impossible for us to do apart from God. Think about the things that Scripture calls us to do that are totally impossible apart from Him. Yet we try, sometimes in our own strength, to do these things. Here's just a few. Scripture says, be holy as I am holy. So what do we do? We try to eliminate the unholiness and become holy. I'll just stop thinking those thoughts. I'll stop doing those things. I'll stop clicking on this picture. I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. And I'll be holy. Here's a newsflash. That boat done sailed a long time ago. We'll never be holy apart from God. What about this one? I want you to love as I have loved you, Jesus says. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. You want me to love as you loved me? Yeah, well, wait a minute. That's, I was a mess. I was rebellious. I was hurtful. I was all these, and you still, and you want me to love people like that? Yeah, can't do it apart from God. What about this? Philippians says to, to have the same attitude in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Can you do that? Not apart from Christ. What about this? I want you to love your enemies. I want you to bless those who curse you. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. How many of y'all, when, 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 when you get hurt, just want to respond in love? It just comes natural. It doesn't. Not at all. Here's one. Husbands, love your wife... As Christ loves the church. Is there any man in this room that can raise his hand and say, I've done that perfectly? I've loved my wife the way Jesus loves the church. I can't. I've tried. I've tried. But I've fallen short. And you know what happens when I fall short? I feel unworthy. Feel unlovable. What about this, ladies? I'm going to leave you out. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Does that just come natural? Is that possible? Apart from God doing something supernatural in you? Scripture says rejoice always. Give thanks in everything. Do all things without complaining. Anybody batting a thousand here? The Bible says, do not gossip. Oh. The Bible says, speak only those things that build up the body of Christ. Do you see that God's asked us to do the impossible? We can try harder, but we don't have what it takes. And here was my problem. As I read the list, I tried to apply human intellect, and I bought the lie that God would not require of me something that was impossible. God would never ask me to do something I couldn't do. Really? I think he did. I think he's asked of us all kinds of things that are impossible on our own. But when you buy the lie of the goodness gospel, you just try harder. You just work harder. You just buckle down. You just get more committed. You just just force yourself to try a little bit harder. And I read this line, and it's just stuck in my mind. And I, I, this, this lady author, she said this. She said, when we read the things that believers are supposed to do, we read them as a challenge, not as an indictment upon our inability. So I read, be godly as I am godly, and I go, Oh, that's a good challenge. Am I up for it? Instead of reading that and saying, Lord, that is impossible for me to accomplish without you. I'm going to have to depend upon you to make me holy. I'm going to have to depend upon you to help me love my enemy. I'm going to have to depend upon you, God, to, to help me to love my wife the way that you love me. You see, instead of reading it as, a, as an indictment to say you can't, Therefore, you need the Lord to do. I read and go, all right, let me buckle down. Let me try a little bit harder. I need to ask you this morning, because I'm getting some looks. Am I alone in this? Okay, good. Because I was feeling really bad if I was. We could just kind of hang it up, land the plane, and go home, right? Here's, Here's the deal. To one degree or another, we may all struggle with this. Some of us may not be ready yet to admit this, but, but, but here we are. I read these things, these requirements as a challenge and not as an indictment of them, the fact that I haven't and I cannot and nor will I ever be able. Excuse me. I haven't, I can't, nor will I ever be able to do these things on my own. I just assumed that I could and that I ought to and that I better instead of admitting that I can't. I can't tell you how many times this week I've said to God, I can't. I can't. And God says, Praise me. (laughs) Praise God. You're getting it. You can't. So when I assume that I can, I just try a little harder instead of admitting my dependence upon Him. But when you fail, you you live life disheartened. You, You walk away as this man did. Sorrowful and disheartened. It says in verse 22, after Jesus called him to come follow him. It says in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. You know what Jesus was actually asking him to do? He says, you've been poured into. You're a rich young ruler. You've been given this. I'm asking you to give away what's been given to you. That's all. But he was possessed by his possessions because his possessions were his identity. And he was unwilling to let go of his possessions, let God remake his identity. And when we do that, the only other option is to walk away sorrowful, disheartened, sad, See, God requires the impossible, guys, not to discourage us, but to make us dependent upon Him. Let me say that again. He shows us the impossible not to discourage us, but to make us dependent upon Him. Because that's the only way that we can glorify Him. If I can do this in my own strength... Where's the glory for God? But if I have to raise up the white flag and say, I surrender, I can't do this. That's why Paul says, I glory in my weakness. Because in my weakness, then he can be strong. It's only in those moments where we realize that we can't, that we begin to understand that, that God can and God will. And so we learn about God's grace and, and, and through these moments of seeing what's expected and realizing that we can't, we come to understand how desperate we are for the grace of God. And that grace is given to us like that gift, like those riches were given to that young man. So that the, then we can give that away to others. Think about this. Jesus says, I want you to go and give away all that you've got. And I want you to give it to the poor. And here's what a rich man tends to think when somebody says, Give away what you got to the poor. I earned it. He hasn't. Why should I give it away? A person who hasn't understood grace feels the same way toward others. I've got my list of all these things that I've done. Look at all the things I've done all my life, Lord. Why should I? Give that same grace to others. I've earned it. They haven't. I deserve it. They don't. And this goodness gospel divides while the grace gospel unites. And it's only as we see our need for God's grace That we will stop trying to live this life in our own strength. Here's the truth. What what has to change in us is our heart. And I can't change my heart. I may can change a few of my behaviors. I've gotten good at that. But that doesn't change what's in my heart. And that's the thing God's looking at is what's in my heart, right? I can look moral. I can look ethical. I can behave lovingly. I can work hard. I can serve sacrificially. But if the reason I'm doing that is to gain the approval that God freely offers, what, what's with that? See, we can no more change our hearts, Jeremiah says, than the leper can change his spots. My arm is not long enough to reach down to the depths of my heart and make change. Only God can do that. So when we go back to Philippians 2.13, it's God that works in you both to will, there's the heart, And then to work for his good pleasure. It's God that's got to change this this thing that's in our heart that says we just have to work harder. We've got to lay aside that old identity. When I first came to Crossroads... Uh, I remember asking uh, some of the church leaders, where's the pastor's office? And they looked at me like they didn't know what I was talking about. They said, what do you mean, where's the pastor's office? I said, well, where, where do I come for work every day? Where's my office? And this is what was told to me. That these are the words. If you wanted to meet the pastor, you go to the boat ramp at sunrise or at sunset, and you catch him going out or you catch him coming in. That's where you meet our pastor. And I thought, well, that's not going to work for me. So I began to work. And we set up a little office, and I began to do my work. And then something else happened. The men of our church began to introduce me to their friends. And they would take me to their friends. And they would say, let me introduce you to our new preacher. This is Brother Rob. And by then, they'd learned that I like to work hard. And this is what they would say. He is the hardest-working preacher I've ever met. Thomas, you were one of those. Delbert, you were one of those. Chuck Smith was one of those. Others would, would take me, and, 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 and I go, ooh, I like that. I'm a hard-working preacher. Ooh. And that became part of my identity. The only problem with that being my identity is now I've got to keep that up. And those words in the back of my mind have echoed for 28 years. And I've tried harder and harder and harder to keep that up. But it doesn't work. There's still that thing inside that says no matter what I do, it's never going to be enough. And this week, God has said to me, Rob, you will never be enough on your own. But you are in me. And that's a game changer. That's a game changer. Some of you are working yourself to death. Your whole identity has been fashioned around how good you are or how hard you work, or how moral you are, or how generous you are, or how whatever else you fill in the blank. But you've created an identity around something that you are doing and not what Christ has done. And Jesus calls us, just like he called this rich young ruler, to set aside that previous identity and just come follow him. Just come follow him because as we come and we follow, he does the transformation of our heart, which follows with the transformation of our lives. You see, it's never been about what we do on our own. The gospel is not what we do for God. The gospel is what God has done for us. It's what he has done, what he's currently doing, and what he will do. I said to you as I began that this goodness gospel is dangerous. And I believe it can be deadly if it's not corrected in our lives. Some people you say, are you a Christian? And they say, oh, absolutely. I go to church every Sunday. It's not what I ask you. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm Catholic. Yeah, I'm Baptist. Yeah, I'm Methodist. It's not what we do. Listen to this sober warning. We've read it a hundred times together, but I've got I to throw it out there one more time. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, here's here's my goodness gospel interpretation. You know where it's going, don't you? And everyone who says, only those who do. And that's the word that I circled. Does. But then Jesus makes very clear, it's not what we do. It's what's been done for us. On that day, Jesus says, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? Here's my list. Isn't it true, God, that I prophesied in your name? That I cast demons out in your name? That I've done many works in your name? There's the list. There's the goodness gospel. Let me tell you, Lord, all the things that I've done for you. And Jesus says, it's not what you've done for me. It's what I've done for you. Jesus says to those in response, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. A couple things in this passage I want to point out before we close. It's not just what we say. But it's what we do as a result of what God's done in us, okay? It all starts with Him. But the goodness gospel believes that our good works are good enough. Did we not do this for you? We did it in your name. We did it for you. We prophesied, we cast out demons, we did mighty works, many, many mighty works for you. But here Jesus says these miracles, these works are not evidence of conversion. And and here's the other thing: watch this. Jesus is casting them out, they're lost. But the lost were doing many mighty works. The lost were casting out demons. The lost were prophesying. You ever thought about that? The miracles are not proof. Not at all. In fact, Jesus calls them, he acknowledges their work. You are workers. Of lawlessness, your works could never satisfy the law, the requirement. No matter how much you do, no matter how big the show, your works can never do enough. Your works, he says, cannot fulfill the law. They are works of lawlessness. And neither can mine, no matter how impressive they are. So I'm making work hard and gain your applause. But I'm going to be honest with you, that's not what I'm living for. Not anymore. Here's what we do. We need to believe the true gospel. That what Jesus has done is enough. Enough. We need to receive that grace that he has made available to cover all of our sins, all of our wickedness, all of our shortcomings. And then and only then can we respond in love and in joy to what he has provided. Only then can these lives that we live be lives of joy. And lives that are lived out as a response of what God's already done in us. We're not doing it to gain God's approval. We're doing it because we have God's approval. We're not doing it to impress God. We're doing it because God has already done a work inside of us. So, would you admit today that you can't? That struggle. That sin. That good thing that you want to do, you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own might. Let's get off the goodness gospel train and let's get back to the real gospel, which says it's not what we do for God, but it's what God's already done for us. I hope today you can see the foolishness of the goodness gospel. As God began to show me that, God did something very gracious and that is that God enabled me to repent. He allowed me to admit how foolish that I've been trying to prove my worth to him and to prove my worth to anybody else that might look. By his grace, he enabled me to repent. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It's not a done deal. It is so easy to slip back into the goodness gospel when that's all you've known. So I'm going to need your prayers, and I'm going to need your help. And I'm going to need God's help more than anything to stay true to the gospel and not to slip back into that. I don't want when you come to church to give you five things that you need to add to your list. Now, we're going to talk about five things or four things or three things, But we're going to talk about how we need to depend upon the Lord to be able to accomplish those things. I want to seek to allow the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, to create a true identity for me. I want to see myself as God sees me. I want to believe what God says about me. And I'm sure that I won't get it right all the time. But by God's grace, I pray that God can change me, that God can use me, And he can do it for his glory. And I want to close today by saying to each of you that I am sorry that not only have I lived by the goodness gospel, but that I've led by the goodness gospel. Because the way that that I've lived doesn't just affect me any more than the way that you live just affects you. I believe something that wasn't true. And that may have bled over to you. And if it did, I, I pray. And I've prayed that God would step in and help you to see truth. I pray that you would forgive me for that shortcoming. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't. It's, it's all I've known all my life. And so I pray that you would forgive me. And I I pray that that I will allow God to do in me what He wants to do so that I can be who God's created me to be. And whatever that is and whatever that looks like and whatever fruit that that produces, that's just up to God. But from this moment forward, I'm going to do uh, my very best to live surrendered before the Lord. And that, even that, is not possible on my own. It's only possible through Him. So maybe something I've said today has resonated with you. Maybe you also see some of this goodness gospel in your life. And maybe today, as I have done, you need to just surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I realize I I can't do this any more than Rob can do this. And just let him, let him pour out his grace upon you. I got to tell you this and then I'll close. Realizing this week that I can't has been the most freeing thing I think I've ever experienced. I don't care what people think, I'm able to stand before you and confess my fault. And my weakness, knowing that some of you may mock, laugh, scorn, go, finally he gets it. Okay. Okay. But that doesn't matter. What matters most is that when I step down here in just a second, that my heart's right with God. And what matters most to me about you is that when you step foot out that door in just a minute, that your heart's right with God. That's all I want. And that's all that matters. And that, that is the most freeing thing in the whole world. Let me pray for you, okay?